0: Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. And now, your hosts,
1: Josh and Joe.
0: Hello, and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and for today's episode, we decided we're going to repost our interview with Chris Ballou from 2020. Chris is most well known for his children's music, which he has published under the name Casper Baby Pants and being the front man of the presidents of the United States of America. The major difference between what you're going to hear today and on the episode that we released in 2020, which is uh, titled President Baby Pants, is that music has been spliced into the conversation. We had Chris pretty early on in the life of this podcast and at the time we really weren't putting any music into the episodes besides having clips when we discussed what we were listening to at the end of the show. So we've gotten permission from Chris to use any of his original music that we'd like um, that is not really including the Presidents of United States of America's uh, studio recordings, but um, you're going to hear some of his original music uh, with especially his Casper Baby pants music uh, in the middle of this conversation, especially when different songs come up. The other difference uh, in this version of our conversation is that we are not reposting the entire episode. We're just reposting the conversation, meaning you're not going to hear Joe, Steve, and I talking about the technical issues that we had while recording the interview with Chris or the music picks from that episode. If you want to go back and listen to the whole original thing, feel free to go check out the episode, President Baby Pants. Now, you may be asking yourself, why are they re-releasing an old interview? There's less than 30 episodes of this podcast. Well, Along with what I mentioned several months ago regarding Joe and Steve focusing on their personal lives and careers, I have had a major life change myself. Uh, My wife just gave birth to another child, uh, so we can say that the amount of free time that I have has decreased tremendously. Now, I still plan on continuing this show, uh, so don't worry about that. And I actually have a few potential guests in the works, but um, that's probably not going to be happening until my life settles down. So for right now, we're going to be re-releasing this old interview. Um, I'm hoping this won't be a trend, but you never know. All right, so now that things are clarified a little bit, uh, let's get to our conversation with Chris Ballew from two years ago. Um, I hope you enjoy hearing it, even if it's the second time around. So uh, enjoy. Chris, thanks so much for coming on to the show.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I don't know uh, if you didn't have me on your show. I just wouldn't be on a show right now, which would be <laughs> sad.
0: <laughs> oh, man. That, well, that makes us feel a lot better. Um, yeah. Um, so first off, how have you been handling the pandemic? Um,
2: very carefully with kid gloves. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I've been real cautious. My wife and I both kind of feel like... Uh, we're erring on the side of caution and we're being respectful of the people that uh, are, you know, vulnerable. And we're really uh, obeying the protocols and wearing our masks and doing everything we're supposed to do. So, you know, it's um, there's good days and there's, there's funky days, but uh, overall, I think it's, uh, it's all going to work out fine.
0: That's yeah, it's good. Has your creative juices been flowing more or is it, they've kind of been, you know, a little more wonky since you've been holed up for a, a long time.
2: Well, actually, the shutdown coincided with me finishing three full-length records and a four-song EP. uh, Wow. Yeah, I did this ginormous, like crazy, inspired, long (laughs) (laughs) process. And um, so I was ready for a break. And I was ready to kind of get away from songwriting anyway. And so I got Mm. my break. And I've taken a break from songwriting. I'm actually doing visual art these days uh, instead of music. I sit down at the piano and pick up a guitar every day and just kind of noodle, but I'm not doing anything goal oriented. I'm just enjoying music for the enjoyment of the moment.
0: Yeah, I've seen those black and white, um, uh, I guess, drawings or paintings that you've done. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're very cool.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm super (laughs) enjoying those. And I went to art school. And I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts and I didn't have anything to say. So <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I, uh, I don't know what to do with that. So I'll just play music for a while. And um, s- then suddenly about six or seven years ago, I started kind of dabbling again and found a voice and I'm super into it. Yeah. So it's, it's really exciting. I think it might be my next chapter.
0: Awesome. That yeah. sounds great. Um, so cool. Thanks. We know you, you're in the uh, Pacific Northwest, um, specifically in Washington State. Have the wildfires been, you know,
2: affecting you at all lately? Um, oh or- yeah, we had nine days where we could not go outside. It was remarkable. Yeah, wow. so not the actual. I mean, the fires themselves. No, our house is not in danger of burning down. But the smoke in the air was intense. Um, yeah, yeah, it was weird too because we we live in a little house on an island, and we can see. Uh, land across a piece of water from our living room and we couldn't see anything for nine days. So that's, that's insane. But when the smoke went away uh, to be able to see the world was like this crazy gift. And we were elated. We were just like, oh my gosh, look at the world. Look at the world. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have any kids
0: yourself or, um, cause you know, as parents, we've been dealing with the, the, the pandemic and crazily. So we didn't know if you had any kids and how you've been dealing with the pandemic. If so.
2: Yes, I have two kids, but they are 23 and, uh, 19 <laughs> And that's oh, wow. year that's years, not months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they are out on their own doing their thing. My daughter's in Colorado. My son lives north of Seattle in a town called Bellingham, mm-hmm. and um, and they're they're you know also kind of you know good days, bad days. I think if I think if you're not struggling a little bit right now, you're not really awake. So um, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. So but they're 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 doing great. They're good people. I I love them. Cool, that's great. And so
0: now that you know you have kids, were they the impetus for you starting to write kids' music, or
2: how did how did the whole Casper baby pants thing get started? They were part of it. Um, a big part of it was their mom, uh, my first wife, Mary Lynn. She actually is the one that wrote "Run Baby Run," which you could argue is my
1: biggest "quote unquote" hit. Run, 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 run. Jump, baby, jump, 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 jump. Jump baby jump, 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 jump baby jump, 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 jump baby, jump. Jump, 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 spin, baby, spin, round and round and round. Spin baby spin, round and round and round. Spin baby spin, round and round and round And then I used to play uh improvise
2: songs for my kids when they were little. Um, I'd sit them out down on a little blanket and just uh play guitar and make up songs. And a lot of those have turned into Casper Baby Pants songs. But really, the um Casper Baby Pants as we know it started when I met my second wife, Kate, and her artwork just really spoke to me. And uh it was, you know, folksy and bright and funny and well made and had integrity and great colors and animals. Oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. I was like, all those adjectives are adjectives I want to use to describe uh, the music that I make. And so I did make music to go with her artwork, and that's how I found my voice as Casper Baby Pants. So I really couldn't have done it without either of my wives or my children. So <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of influences going on. Crazy, and yeah. so is your wife the one who uh, creates the album art? Also, yep, yep. It's it uh, yeah. seemed inevitable that she would do the covers. So, yeah, and that that's always been a dream of mine to have a body of work like multiple albums that kind of all come from the same place and look like they're part of a giant set. Yeah. Um, so I did that very consciously. So
3: yeah. I
0: mean, they're be- it, All the albums are beautiful. They're bright. They're very kid friendly. It's uh, they're they're Great. And so you're known for being, you know, the main guy, the lead guy of presidents of the United States of America. And so when you drop this new, you know, your first Casper Baby Pants album, what was the reaction from your family, to, you your know, friends and just the public in general? Because I mean, I didn't find out about you until a few years ago. So I was a little late to the game. But um, I just wanted to know, you know, because I think you were, the presidents were still going in some iteration at the time. So I wasn't sure what the initial reaction was to that album.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, uh, I think it was all positive, uh, at least what I experienced from other people because it seemed so inevitable, you know, like of, I think people's reaction was, well, of course he is, you know, of course he's Casper baby pants. Of course he's making music for toddlers, you know, like <laughs> what, what else is he going to do next? And yeah, I did do Casper for about and the presidents for about six years at the same time. And that was really hectic and crazy because uh, I was playing, you know, hundreds of shows as Casper a year. I've played, um, I think like, I don't remember the exact number, but I think somewhere around 1,300 shows as Casper. Oh, wow. And I was touring with the presidents and making new albums and all that. So it was nutballs. But yeah, overall, from the band and from my family and everybody, and you know, other people in the music scene here in Seattle, it's all just been like, well, you know, a shrug and like, duh, of course he's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's been good. It's well, and beyond duh, it's been like, you know, very positive. And I've I've had a lot of uh, wonderful guest stars from the you know, world of grown-up rock and roll here in Seattle on the albums over the years. So I've gotten I've gotten the thumbs up from a lot of uh, uh, of my comrades and influences. So that's cool. That's great. Joe, you have a question?
3: Yeah, hey Chris. This is Joe. Um I just wanted to know what were your thoughts on kids' music kind of in general or, or before you started Casper Baby Pants. I'm a parent of two kids, 13 and 9. I've definitely heard my share of good kids' music and bad kids' music. Um, <laughs> Casper Baby Pants is great. It kind of reminds me a little bit of another artist that I used to play to my son, uh, Dan Zane's. Oh kind yeah. A very Americana you know, great harmonies. When I heard your music, it r- reminded me a lot of that. Just really quality, you know, music for adults, you know, and kids mm-hmm. as well. So I want to know what your thoughts were before starting Casper Baby Pants on kids' music.
2: Yeah, I didn't really have a good sense of what that landscape was like. Really, I mean, um, I knew a couple of artists like Elizabeth Mitchell was somebody who was very influential when I started out because she kind of turned me on to the idea that you don't have to be, you know, boingy and zany all the time to get kids attention. You can kind of step back a little and mellow exactly. out. I didn't want to mellow yep. out as much as she was, but I really appreciated her records. And I would listen to her records in the car as I drove around all day and just feel good, you know? So, I think that's where I got the initial idea of making music not really just for kids, but for the whole family and even more specifically for the parents. Like I actually kind of joke in later years, I've joked that I'm the very first parents musician. You know, there's no (laughs) there's no genre (laughs) called parents music. But if there was, I'd be the first one. Um, So, yeah, I really. and, And the other aspect of this whole thing is I don't make music that I think kids will like. I make music that I like. And it just happens Mm -hmm. that I'm nurturing this like childlike part of myself and entertaining myself really. And it turns out that I'm at my core like a child. So it resonates with children and parents and adults because I'm an adult. So it's kind of like the struggle was to find a way to make music that really satisfied or, or really like represented who I really am. And when I found it, it happens that it resonated with me and kids and parents. So I think some, I, I don't want to, you know, when I first got into this genre, I decided, okay, I'm never going to talk about what I don't like about kids' music because it's going to be a very dark, long conversation. <laughs> so I don't want to get into that too much. But what I do like about it is that people are paying attention to the aesthetics of the parents. And that means that the family does not have to go to two separate parts of the house when the, when the music (laughs) comes on, which is exactly, (laughs) which is a piece of the bigger puzzle, which is making families, um, uh, you know, feel happy during stressful times, uh, bored when they're bored, when they're angry, when there's tension. Um, I, you know, I hope That children's music, including my own, can go into that environment and de-stressify it and bring them together and start people laughing and kind of, you know, keep the family unit humming along in an empathetic, positive musical way.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the way I, I found out about you was um, a guy I play music with was, this was right before my son was born. He was like, I got to tell you about the, you know, I was listening to the kids music XM or a serious radio station. And, I and this, this guy came on and I was like, I know this voice, I mean, this guy, Casper baby pants. I looked it up and it was the, you know, the, the lead singer of the presidents and his stuff is so great. It's like, <laughs> you know, presidents for kids. And I was like, Oh, this is great. And, <laughs> You know, uh, it it really is, uh, the music I have to say, like my wife and I both love listening to it. My, my son loves listening to it. Sometimes I'll want to listen to you rather than my son. He'll want to put on like Sesame Street. And I'm just like, no, I want to put on some Casper Baby baby Pants. I love that. But, you know, just to, to talk about what you were saying, um, I was going to say that w- one of my favorite bands, Modesty, Martin & Wood, uh, which is an improv jazz trio. Oh, I know uh, the,
2: I know those guys. I knew those guys when I lived in Boston.
0: Yeah. And they put out uh, the kids' album, uh, Let's Go, in 2008. And I remember when they put it out, they were talking about how they purposefully didn't want to dumb down the music. They wanted to make it, you know, very intelligent music for everybody to listen to for the whole family to listen to and I still love that album uh, a lot and you know I, I've always loved it and I, I appreciate when artists who do make this you know change over or whatever to, to kids music that you're not you know you're not dumbing it down for anybody you're, you're kind of keeping the bar high uh, musically and you know just aesthetically because then it becomes music that the kids can listen to for the rest of their life. Yeah.
2: And the dream would be, of course, that they would listen to it for the rest of their life. And then when they have kids, they have to buy all the records again in the the new reissues. Yeah. In the new future format that we can't imagine, whatever it is, like, you know, musical flowers. I don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, all that resonates. Everything you're saying is great. Um, It's a really interesting, specific chemistry that I've discovered has to be paid attention to to make a song work like I imagine, I always imagine a car leaving Yosemite National Park with a family of five in it and they're all mad and tired and hungry and they all have to pee. (laughs) And, you know, you should be able to put in whatever song I'm working on. I imagine it coming on the car stereo and I listen to it with a very critical ear. Like, is this going to help? and oftentimes i'm like well got to get rid of that banjo cuz it's too much mm. you know like <laughs> got to get rid of that mandolin got to get rid of that like you know stabby guitar and uh so i make very like uh real critical aesthetic choices based on imagining the destination gotcha. and uh so yeah it is it is tricky to kind of um keep everybody in mind you know the 2 year old in the car the 7 year old and the parents and and so it's it's a it's a challenge for sure. It's really a fun challenge.
0: If I ever have a chance, I'm definitely going to have uh, my my cover band try to cover Stompy the Bear cuz it's I I absolutely love that song and I feel like it it's it's just one of those ones where you just, I just want to crank the distortion even though there's like yeah. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. real drums. I just want to get behind my drum set and just like you know, beat the oh, crap out of them. Oh, and just man. Like rock I, out.
2: I was just saying to Kate today, like, we were driving, and I was like, man, I wish somebody would start a Casper Baby Pants cover band that's just like full on rock, <laughs> you know, just full <laughs> piece, five piece rock band, everybody blasting like crazy. That'd be great. Yeah, please do that.
1: Some say he is brown, and he will shake this town if he ever comes this way again. Some say he is green and really, really mean, but he just wants someone to boogie with. Go! Here comes Stompy the Bear. Here comes Stompy
2: the Bear. Here comes Stompy the Bear. I actually, I do (laughs) occasionally do shows as Casper Adult Pants. Hmm. And um, that's me, same setup, just me and my guitar, but I, I bring a crazy distortion pedal. I turn up the volume, have a couple drinks, and it's for parents only. So no well, kids are allowed. I don't sing like blue lyrics or anything, but I just right. it, I just rock yeah. it out the songs and I make the parents behave like children, which is super fun.
0: <laughs> well, if you ever come out to the East Coast, like I'll definitely be there, so.
2: Okay.
3: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And Chris, I re- I read that um you're the obviously singer and songwriter, play all the instruments you produce the records, you're the booking agent, yeah. the roadie. Yeah. Is that all yep. true? You, you do all yep. that?
2: <laughs> yeah. This, this, the other thing I love about this operation is it harkens back to my DIY roots, like my punk rock mm-hmm. days in the eighties. Awesome. And it's the ultimate punk rock band, really. I mean, it's right down to the, kids in the crowd who behave so bizarrely. And, uh, you know, they're more punk rock than anybody with a bright red mohawk. I'll tell you that. Um, so yeah, it's, it really is also not just musically my home, but it's like the operation is close to my heart because it's so DIY. And, uh, I love it though. I love it yeah i if I ever felt like I needed help or an assistant or something like that I'd be like, nope too too much too big <laughs> too <much. laughs> gotta, pay, gotta keep it. in fact i kinda purpose, it yeah I kind of purposely don't promote my music that much. I do podcasts when people call like you guys, and I just depend on happy parents telling other parents about it because I just want it to be I don't want it to be gigantic I just want it to be loved, you know mm, awesome. at whatever size
4: it finds itself, oh yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, it's Steve here. Um, and relates to your, uh, DIY, your beginnings. I kind of noticed that, you know, that being in the Pacific Northwest, I think kind of lends itself to like that DIY atmosphere. I feel like Seattle kind of has always had that kind of spirit has that and being like married to Kate, like kind of fed your DIY spirit.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really growing up in Seattle, the prevailing attitude was like, if you start a band and you want to play a show you don't wait around for some slick club to give you a show. You rent a hall and you get a couple other punk rock bands and play a show and charge $2, you know, Mm -hmm. and have it break even, but you did something with your Thursday night, you know? So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the sort of inspiration for people to make music back in those days was just to do something and to have somewhere to go and, uh, not just sit around and watch Star Trek on, channel five because <laughs> that's all yeah. that was on. Um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely, I think Seattle planted that seed in me for sure. Yeah. And it was kind of fun. It was kind of funny and I, not ironic, but I don't know, kind of weird later when the scene blew up and became national because it felt so comfortable as a DIY scene. Like yeah. one of the things I love about DIY is you, for me is it allows me to feel successful at a much smaller scale, like, Mm -hmm. you know, write a song, rehearse the song with your band, play the show. People hear it. They buy your cassette done, you know, like it's a complete success circuit completed without, you know, the whole rigmarole of being, uh, you know, quote unquote famous or whatever. So
4: Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. And then, uh, just related to your, to your, I see uh, on a couple of your videos, they seem to be like all your, either your animation or you've learned to animate on earlier (laughs) stages. Like how much are you involved in the video creation?
2: Oh, hundred percent. Totally involved. Yeah. Um, Over the years I've been collaborated with a whole bunch of people and sometimes I'll do the drawings and then I'll have somebody else animate them. But I kind of like making them myself because they're so crude. And again, it's a little bit punk rock. It's like, I want someone to watch um, the videos I make, by myself, the really simple line drawing ones that are just crudely edited. And I want them to have uh, a feeling like, oh, I could do that too. Or, you know, like if I'm bored on a Thursday afternoon, I could make a video, you know, I have some videos that are done by professionals because I kind of wanted to have different vibes, you know, for each uh, video. But um, yeah, They're fun. They're fun to do. In fact, that new one for the song Five White Ducks, which is out now, which is the first single from the new record, Happy Heart, (laughs) which comes out November 13th, 2020. Nice. That one, I actually gave up on that one. I did all the drawings and put them all in my editing thing and got it sort of 80% done. And was just like, I don't think this is any good at all. And I just just walked away from it for like a month. And then I uh, fired it up about a month later and was like, Hey, this is actually great (laughs) because the process of doing them is so intense and so kind of like math laborious. Oh my gosh. It's so mathematical. And like, so
4: I got all caught up in the, you know, the sort of was it after effects or something else
2: no i'm using this well i do the drawings now i used to do the drawings just on paper and take a picture of them and (laughs) with like a little jig and i'd put the picture it's like old school animation like photographing (laughs) each cell but now i do the drawings on an ipad using procreate and then i import them into a really old version of imovie like 10 years old, uh, that still has a timeline. And I just, you know, it's, (laughs) it's like, it's like making a, uh, major label album on a four track basically. So amazing. uh, Yeah. (laughs) It keeps me, keeps me grounded. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can't get too fancy. Humbling.
4: Animation is so humbling. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're, I mean the videos are fantastic. I, I specifically like the um, uh, was it the, uh, the is it crabby? No, um, pretty crabby,
1: pretty crabby. Oh so cute, oh so grumpy. see is smooth and your shell is bumpy. I feel good, but you feel funky. Hey hey, pretty crabby. How could something so darn cute try to pinch me through my boot, scooting around in your birthday suit? Go go, pretty crabby. Heidi ho. Bad so betty, lie to die, mad so hide hidey ho, sad so saddle, oh 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 pretty crabby.
0: That's a, that's a great claymation uh video. Yeah, that's so. a
2: woman, uh Charlotte Blacker. I just was hopping around on the internet one night and saw her a couple of her stop motion animation things and emailed her and she said yes and we made some video. I've done a bunch of that kind of thing. Like I actually got inspiration from weird owl. He made a record a few years ago and he made a video for every single song on the record.
1: Yeah, and I remember he
2: that. he just reached out to like the graduating classes of different um <laughs> <laughs> you know like animation programs is how I remember him telling me about it. And it was wow. just like do you want a resume builder? Make a video for Weird Al for free. And then they were all like, yes. And so, Uh. yeah. Anyway, I took a page out of his playbook there for a bit and did that. That's awesome.
0: When I found out, you know, I found out we were going to be interviewing you. I decided to do a deep dive into your music and was listening to the Chris and Tad album that's on uh, uh, yeah. on Spotify. And when the song Sunshine Pig came on, I was like, wait, this is this is one of his songs. <laughs> oh, it's it's it, This is 10 Little Piggies. Um, yeah. So do you you know, because you have so many Casper Baby Pants songs. Have you reused a lot of songs that maybe were recorded in some other band or or you know group or just were on the on the shelf somewhere and just brought them back up and brought them back to life
2: in your newer stuff? Absolutely. Tons, tons, tons. Because my philosophy as a songwriter for my whole life has always been don't hold back, you know, write the song even if it doesn't feel exactly right. Go ahead, write it, record it, file it away because I've gone through so many little genre Hopping changes over my life. And every time I do that, I look back over the like rubble of old songs and I'm like, oh, that one will work in this iteration. That one will work. That one will work. And when I got to the Casper thing, because it was so, so much like a destination, like a global sensation of like, ah, there it is. There's me. When I looked back over the rubble, there were so many songs that were unfinished that were close, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is so, um, just, uh, exactly who I am. So there were a lot more of them. And so, yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot that never got released that were just, you know, gathering dust that I ended up polishing off as Casper songs. So some of them, even though they've been through that, uh, ringer, you wouldn't know it cause you've, they've never been released. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have a problem repurposing re re, uh, imagining songs from the past. I think it's a fun thing to do.
0: You know, if they're great songs, they're great songs, no matter yeah. how you put them out. So yeah. Speaking of your songwriting process, my wife is a big fan of, uh, the song bad blue Jay. Yeah. And she, she wanted me to ask you, uh, what some of the lyrics like mean, like when it, <laughs> it just the, the line, do you make a, a noise chainsaw? That's one of them. And then, what will it take, birthday cake? So, I didn't know
2: if there's any meaning behind them or if they just sounded good when you were writing them. Well, there was an actual Blue Jay or a Stellar's Jay, it turns out, actually, in our yard yelling. And so, the chainsaw thing is just because he sounded like a little chainsaw. He was like, wah, wah, rah, rah, <laughs> yelling in the yard. And so, I was like, chainsaw. Yeah. Um, and the birthday cake, I don't know. I just imagine like it would take something pretty darn special for him to shut up. So, I was like, gotcha. <laughs> birthday cake. But that song's interesting because it's based on an old um, spiritual song, an old public domain song called Did You Feed My Cow? So some of the songs I've written, I've actually kind of dipped into the public domain world and taken old bits and fragments from, you know, very old music and modernized them. Yeah. I like doing that because it brings those melodies to life for people now. And and because there's something universal in those melodies because uh, the ones I pick have survived. And so there's something kind of uh, human in them that people respond to. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I gotta say, you know, there's a lot of songs that, you know, I know. And then I'm like, Oh, this is a, this is a new lyric. And, you know, it's, it's just really cool that you're, you're, you're revamping them and kind of making them a little more modern, at least putting your own twists on them. And yeah, uh,
2: I try to modernize them, but I don't, I don't want them to lose their, their bones, you know, like I'm not trying to do like a reggae version of Silent Night or something, you know, like (laughs) I I don't want to get too whack testicle with it. So I kind of try to keep it grounded. You know? Yeah, but
0: I do appreciate like the slow version of Head, Shoulders, Knees and Toes with oh, added yeah, lyrics yeah. and stuff like that. So, well, that I, you the- know,
2: I did that slow because I realized if I did it fast, you couldn't—the uh, mom who has the baby on her lap couldn't point to the parts of the body that fast.
0: Oh. you know. So
2: again, I'm thinking about where it's going to be used. Like, what's happening while the song's playing? Well, there's a mom with a baby on her lap, and she's pointing. You know, and so it has to be slow. You know. Gosh.
1: So.
0: And just to follow up with the idea that you you use a lot of public domain songs, Um, I know you put out a couple of Beatles albums. Yeah. And so how did you go about getting the rights to those or, you know, especially since you're doing this DIY? I didn't know what the process for that is or was.
2: Yeah. I just, you know, it's pretty simple. It's a compulsory license that you get. It's not uh, something you need permission for. And yeah, it's just, it was just a matter of getting uh, acquainted with how to pay the mechanicals. Uh, You know, now I know how to make a spreadsheet. You know, it was the, (laughs) it was the part of the DIY that's not as fun, which is putting on the business hat and like, you know, learning how to do that stuff. And it was tricky at first, it was really disorienting, but now I, I do it every quarter. I have to write checks to those guys to all, well, to uh an agency that pays them so yeah now it's easy but yeah if you want to cover a song it's it's uh you can do it it's just a, a unless you change it dramatically i think you need permission or if you make a parody like weird al again yeah so anyway it's easy <laughs> gotcha
0: you know, I was watching with my son uh, during the beginning of the pandemic when you were putting out those live videos. Yeah. And I noticed that you were playing a three string guitar or I don't know if it was a git bass or whatever it was. And I didn't know if this was like if that is like your main instrument um, or if because I know it was it was considered a shtick when Pooza came out. So I didn't know if this was like something that you use all the time and you record with, or if it's, it was just, you know, it's a a instrument you feel comfortable with and can get around with. Cause I know like Keith Richards uses like a five string guitar normally. So I, I, you know, was just curious, you know, if this is your weapon of choice usually.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it wasn't a shtick in the presidents. It was just, that was essential to how we, uh, Came up with those songs and our energy and all that was the two and three string guitars. Mark Sandman from a band called Morphine in Boston showed me the two string thing, and it just really clicked. I just felt like, oh, that's that's me, that's home. One of the reasons is I, you know, I genre hop a lot and I play songs from a lot of different um, styles. But if I filter those songs through a limited instrument like a three string, it sounds like me. You know, it's kind of automatically uh, makes it feel, at least for me, like it's fresh and unique. So um, there's that. And then there's, you know, the minimalist in me is like, oh, there's less strings to tune, less strings to change. You know, like, yeah. and it's easy to learn. You know, you just tune it to a fifth and put your finger straight across it and you're playing right away. So it's, I like how it kind of democratizes the guitar too. Yeah,
4: it does. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I love it. And I love the challenge of limitations. Like when I did the Beatles record, figuring out the chords for drive my car was a real like mind melter because I had to figure out how to make those weird chords on only three strings and I I, I did it but it was it was oh, a, it was super hard I was sitting at the piano like okay I need it to be this note and this note and this note and how do
4: I get that on the guitar so yeah it's it's a challenge sometimes but I love it Cool. Yeah, I was curious, uh, Steve here again. So I, I read about uh, Mark and, and the you know the creation of the bass guitar and the git bass and all that stuff. Do you do or use those instruments in your current uh, iterations of Casper Baby Pants or any other stuff that you do? And do you still alter instruments? Have you ever done that yourself? Or was that always just the Mark thing?
2: No, I, I only use two and three string guitars for sure. I mean, I have okay. a six string here on the wall. I'm looking at it right now. And every once in a while, I pull it out. In fact, there's a six string song on the new... Casper album "Happy Heart" that I love called "Live" uh, or what is it? it's called "Live Like a Baby," about how I don't want to grow up, I just want to live like a baby, and I wrote it on the six string that I learned to play guitar on when I was a little kid, which um, seemed to make sense. It, it really, it's whatever instrument, whatever the song needs. But so the two string and the three string and the six string and the piano and all these orchestral instruments and banjo and mandolin and everything else—they're all just hanging around and waiting to be called into service, depending on the song, you know, like Mm. every song calls for a different cast of characters. Totally. But the two string and the three string is, the three string right now is just my cornerstone instrument. I mean, that's just, it's the most grabbed of all instruments for me. Okay. Yeah. That's great.
3: And Chris, I heard after this uh, upcoming album, you were stopping Casper Baby Pants or t- taking a break. Uh, why were you choosing to do that?
2: No, it's <laughs> funny. I made a post on Facebook and I think it got misconstrued. All I was saying was that I'd finished recording the next three albums. <laughs> ah. Gotcha. So the rec- And I, I said it, I typed that in, all caps. And then I put, I, you know, I'm not done yet, but still everybody thinks I'm retiring. Uh, okay, okay, So, um, no, what I'm doing is what I was saying was I had tracked all the records. So the next record is number 18. That's happy. Heart. Wow.
4: And then wow.
2: the one after that is easy breezy, which is number 19. And then after that will be a four song EP of covers. And that'll be number 20 ish kind of, and that'll be it. I think that'll be it for the recorded output, but I will still Mm -hmm. keep playing shows. And I might even at that point really start thinking about touring, you know, like traveling and which I'm not, I haven't been interested in up till now for Casper. But once the recording is over, I think I might start, you know, doing some touring. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. And then of course, once all the albums are out, I got to put out a greatest hits and, you know, hey, you have
0: have no label obligation, so you can do whatever you want. Really? Exactly. Oh my God. It's
2: so great. I am the label. I just, I sit here and I look out at the water and I go, well, do I want to put out a record in November? Yes. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah.
2: So to take a step
0: back from Casper, As parents, you know, we grew up playing music and, you know, listening to music. So uh, growing up, how did you get started with music?
2: Well, when I was a really little kid, I got my hands on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And that just blew my mind. Same here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, really? Yeah. When I was three, like I, 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 my dad pulled it out. I remember he pulled it out of his vinyl collection and like that night I had a dream about the cover and then became obsessed with that album, that album cover and the Beatles in general. Like when I was that young. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a beautiful album for a tiny mind because it has so much texture and different uh, variety. Yeah. The styles. I mean, I definitely got my, again, that genre hopping uh, impulse from that record Mm. and the visual um, component of songwriting, you know, like feeling where the music and the words go together to just like make a movie go off in your head. That's just, I love that. And, um, so that one, that really set the tone. And then I started playing piano when I was four and between four and 14, I was kind of being groomed to be a classical pianist, but I didn't Hmm. really like it. So I kind of resisted. And then I picked up an electric guitar when I was about 14 and the rest is history. But, um, yeah. Definitely the early stuff was the Beatles. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't listen to other music until I was, I think 10. <laughs> so well, yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was a long, long time where that was, that was it. I mean, if you're going to be obsessed with a band, it's not a terrible band to be
0: obsessed with. So. Oh, oh. I know.
2: I know. It's, it was fantastic. I mean, it was so great. And that's one of the reasons I made those two Beatles cover albums. I wanted to kind of pay homage to that And, you know, for those albums, I only chose songs that they wrote. I didn't do any of the covers they did. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I chose songs for the most part, which were visual or about love in a really general way. Not like, you know, girl, I want to hold your hand kind of thing, but more like a universal kind of love that could be a parental child kind of love. So, but anyway, um, yeah. Beatles, 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 (laughs) Beatles, Beatles,
3: Beatles. (laughs) Who are they? (laughs) Who? And, w- and once you got your electric guitar and you started your punk bands, what are some of the punk bands that really, you know, pro- propelled you to start a band or that, that, you were, that you were really into? Were they local punk bands or more like the Ramones and, you know, classic bands like that? It was more classic bands.
2: I was definitely yeah. into like, uh, the Sex Pistols and the mm-hmm. Clash and, awesome. um, this guy from England named Reckless Eric. He was sure. Uh, yeah. He was a big, Am- I'd go the whole wide world just <laughs> yeah, to find I just, find a- I, just <laughs> yeah. I just
0: heard that the other day on, on, uh, WFUV. So that was, uh, yeah. I was like, who is this? I've heard this. And I had to, I had to Shazam it to see who it was. So,
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, stuff like Reckless Eric and uh the vibrators and there were all these other well, Gang of
3: Four. Oh, um, I love Gang of Four. Yeah, Entertainment, yeah, great album. Yep, yeah.
2: So that kind of stuff, that kind of arty, angular, jagged, you know, stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Very I still cool. love the Sex Pistols. I mean, I think that first album is just brilliant. And Steve Jones right. is so yeah, what a what a beautiful human being. I mean, his Instagram yes. is just like the greatest. Jonesy's
3: Jukebox. Oh, he is Great show.
2: He's a great show. I would love to be on that show. So if you're listening, (laughs) Steve, which I'm sure you are, (laughs) have me on that show.
0: (laughs) So um, your parents obviously were pushing you to become a classical uh, pianist. I I think I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that your mom was a pianist herself or she was a piano teacher or...
2: No, she just... She was... So my mom was really into classical music and my dad was really into country music. And so... I, if you can, if you listen to a Casper album, I've pretty much grafted the two of them into one personality (laughs) because I use a lot of classical bits and a lot of country stuff. I mean, there's pop and rock and roll and everything else, but those two aspects are coming from them for sure. So yeah, she just, she was an aspiring pianist. I mean, it was one of those things like, Oh, I've got to sit down and get back into piano. I've got oh, to gotcha. do it. And then it's like, well, I better go make dinner instead. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I know that. Yeah. Um, but were they supportive of, you know, when you became like into to rock music and started your own bands, were they, you know, supportive or kind of just like, okay, cool. <laughs> or were they like, uh, you know, very much against it, you know, and, how were they as, as parents in the the support
2: realm? In the beginning, um, my mom was elated. She loved it. I mean, she, she was the one kind of, you know, who wanted to see me play classical, but when I expressed, you know, excitement for playing, you know, short, sharp punk rock songs and having bleached blonde hair and big, you know, taking clippers and having weird sideways haircuts, she was all for it she That's loved awesome. it yeah my dad you know my dad was a sharecropper's son from missouri who went to the big city and became a bank executive and he was he was not as amused <laughs> by the mohawks and the die jobs but um but still supportive in fact my dad I'll never forget this time i was struggling with a piano piece and i couldn't get this one note to happen Every time I went by this one part of the piece, I'd screw it up. And I finally threw the music at the piano. And I was like, that's it. I quit. And my dad showed up at the doorway to that room and took me into his den and got down on his knee and said, you're not going to give up. You're really good. And you need to keep going. You need to get back in there and make it work. Wow. And that's that fantastic. Note. Yeah. And, and he really wasn't effusive otherwise, but he really just like had that moment where he just zeroed in on me and was just like, no, you have to keep trying. Uh, I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it, but, uh, wow. that was a really big moment. I think about that moment a lot. So, um, you had mentioned earlier, uh,
0: that you went to art school in Boston. Um, and actually, no,
2: I went to art school in New York and then New York, I lived okay. in Boston after that.
0: Gotcha. And this was, and I think I read somewhere else that you're from Seattle, but you weren't living there during the late 80s and early 90s when the huge grunge scene was like really, you know, popping and and, and really formulating. Do you feel like that not being in Seattle at that time affected your music, you know, in, a w- in whatever way? But do you feel like if you were there, it would have like really changed your perspective and, and the way you write music or, you know, just how you see music? And do you regret not being like, there, while this whole thing was germinating,
2: um, I—that's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me, so let me think. Uh, I, you know, I needed to be where I was, obviously, because it was Mark Sandman and this band we had called Supergroup that really, um, kind of unhinged the wacky, you know side of me that wanted to write songs about bull weevils and frogs and chickens and monkeys and peaches and all that. (laughs) We had an improvisational band and Mark was kind of this like pillar of cool. And I was this bouncy little weirdo going around. And uh, so I I needed that experience and that was in Boston. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, I remember hearing, you know, I was writing a lot of kind of dark at the late 80s, early 90s, I was writing a lot of dark, funky, distorted kind of stuff. Sebado was one of my favorite bands. And mm. um, I don't know if you know who they are, but um, uh, when I heard Nevermind by Nirvana, I was like, oh, that's the record I was trying to make. So I guess mm. I'll just stop because that's way better than what I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like the melodies and the, and the, the, Uh, sort of like musicality of it, the like poppiness, but also heaviness Mm -hmm. and uh, just everything about it. I wasn't in Seattle, but I was hearing that in my head. So that was kind of weird. So when I moved home, I felt like I didn't want to try to belong to that scene. I wanted to make my own. So, gotcha. um, yeah, I mean, you know, everything happened. No doubt the universe unfolded as it should have. So everything worked out.
0: (laughs) Um, yeah. And so when you move back, uh, I assume that's when the presidents kind of happened or how how did the the band come about?
2: Yeah, I got back and I was so elated to be back on the West coast. I was living on the East coast in Boston and I was not healthy and, uh, you know, it was a, not a good scene for me. And I woke up one morning and went, wait a minute, I'm from the most beautiful place in the world. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I bought a little VW van and drove home and, um, it had no heat. So I had to go all the way down South. This was in January. So I had to go all the way down to like Louisiana and across and up oh, wow. <laughs> because wow, I, wow. Heat. Wow. I know. Yeah, it is. especially <laughs> when you're, when your carburetor's stuck and you can only go 53 miles an hour. Right. And, uh, yeah. It was, it was a long <laughs> journey, but man, when I got back, I was so happy to be back in Seattle that that sort of like that energy kind of infused the, the forming of the presidents. And I called up Dave Dieterer, who I'd played with many times in the past as a duo. And we just started playing as a duo. And then Jason saw us and was like, I need to be your drummer. And bam, you know, there's the band. So we just kind of played without a drummer until a drummer insisted that he was our drummer.
3: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and and who, who came up with the name of the band? I did, uh, and I did it as a
2: joke. We, you know, we had a trouble. We had trouble coming up with a name, so we used to get together before practice for sure. a beer at the Comet. And mm-hmm. the assignment was for each band member to come with five band names and just say them in rapid succession until a band name made us all light up. You know, like go up. Ah, that's yeah. it. And one of my five one day was the presidents of the United States of America and we all lit up and the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs)
4: It's great. Yeah. I always noticed too that when you talk about like the DIY aspect, but I also think that Pusa kind of was like a deconstruction of being a band in that time because I think there was a lot of excess. There was a lot of seriousness and like songs like We're Not Gonna Make It and Naked and Famous to me are just like we're, we're totally poking fun at ourselves. We're totally poking fun on like a serious image. Like, was that like a conscious thing of, of the project and the group?
2: Oh, absolutely. Because we, I think what made the president's work in the beginning was this, uh, this thing where we behaved as if we were the biggest band in the world in a way, like we really tried Mm -hmm. to rock out, but we were playing these stupid little instruments and we were these like skinny dorks, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I think the audience was looking at us like, oh, look at those little dorks. I just want to put them in my pocket. They're so cute trying to rock out. Look at them try. <laughs> and so uh, songs like We're Not Gonna Make It In Naked and Famous kind of were like, yeah, you know, we're going to rock out, but we're also going to do it with our tongues firmly in our cheeks, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, it was an, it was a good dynamic in that band because we rehearsed a lot. One of the things we decided early on was if we're going to be silly, we have to be good you yeah. know like we can't oh, be 100% we can't be silly and sloppy so we rehearsed a lot in the early days and um put a lot of work into sounding like we didn't care so right you know, so that was- well, i
4: never thought about that cuz yeah a lot of like the the more the more comedic bands like yeah a lot of them are very tight they are actually mm-hmm. cuz because the comedy might not come through, I guess, right?
2: Well, I mean, look at again for the third time. I'm bringing up Weird Al, but look at Weird Al. Yeah, I mean, Weird Al. He yeah. Is, Perfect, he's yeah. a totally.
4: master of his craft,
2: and yet yes. incredibly and his, silly. His
0: band is is a fantastic live. I mean, I I've oh, seen yeah. them so many times, and you know, I got to see him on that uh, where he did the, all the originals, and it was just like you you that that performance. Um, you know, when he wasn't playing all of his parodies, you got to really see mm-hmm. how great of of a musician not only he is, but his entire band is. And again, you they just, they can play so tightly and that's what allows the comedy and the, you know, the silliness to come out is because if, you know, if you're trying to be silly and then the band is completely just messing up everywhere, you kind of are focused on how they're messing up and not the comedy. And the whole thing becomes sort of this like, oh, it's funny because it's not going well, rather than it's funny because (laughs) it's supposed to be funny.
2: Yeah. 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 The other end of the spectrum is I love those videos on uh, YouTube called shreds where it's like it's like like eddie van halen playing one of his amazing you know standout like spotlight solos and it's just the worst
1: it's like (laughs) 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 that's like the opposite
2: (laughs) it's like the really you know great visual with the terrible music yeah i love those
0: (laughs) um so how were you, I mean, how were you able to grow uh, your fan base? Cause obviously it's a very, you know, sound. I assume it was a very niche type of thing when it came out and how were you able to like really build it and like kind of, you know, get it to the point where you had A&R guys looking at you?
2: Well, number one, we didn't try, we didn't try to build anything. We just played. And in that environment, post grunge in Seattle, everybody was excited for the next big thing. And so you could, Book a show on a Tuesday night and it was jammed because everybody was curious. And that Crazy. just really played into our favor. So we never tried. We just at one point, Jason Finn, our drummer, was the booking agent at this club in town called Mo. And he was just like, you know what? I'm gonna book the presidents every weekend for like <laughs> two months. <laughs> That's and awesome. Just see what happens. And uh <laughs> so really it was that. Uh, But it wasn't coordinated. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, I'm not doing anything for the next eight weekends. Let's just play. So that was, you know, and that kind of extends to the Casper thing too, because I made a conscious decision at the early stage of the Casper thing that I want to put my energy into playing and recording and writing. And So I didn't do any promotion at all. I think for the third record, I hired a publicist and I I spent like $9,000 and nothing really happened. So I was like, that's it. That's the end of that. So, but I also did that on purpose because I really wanted to see what, because early in the president's experience, when we got signed, I was real vocal with the label and the promoters and everything like, and the, you know, the people that coordinated advertising. I was like, can we, maybe how do we promote the band without appearing to promote the band or something like Mm. I just I didn't want to be just like flavor of the month that's plastered Mm -hmm. everywhere I wanted to kind of make sure that we were getting to the people that really got it and not just the people that were jumping on a bandwagon so anyway with the Casper thing I've totally done that I just don't do anything I just let the music do its own thing and find its own way slowly and Happy parents telling happy parents, and that's it. So, word of mouth, yeah, yeah, word of mouth, just do nothing and put it all into the music. So, that's I finally got to do that, which is great because when I proposed that kind of thing to the band and to the label, they all were like, No, (laughs) really, (laughs) we're not doing that. We're going to promote the damn band,
3: (laughs) huh? So, then how, how surprised were you when Lump really exploded? I was in high school and I, I was telling Josh and Steve earlier oh, yeah. just trying to prepare for this. I'm like, one of my most visceral of high school memories and you know, music memories is hearing Lump, Kitty, Peaches. Like I feel like yes. everyone in my grade knew these songs. I grew up Good here in New dead. Jersey, North Jersey. So our radio station was in New York city when they actually played rock music. <laughs> and that was just on rotation all the time. I feel like it was so huge. And it's one of those iconic nineties songs that, really doesn't die, but how how surprised was the band when the song exploded? Uh, we were literally shocked. (laughs) I mean, like I never
2: thought anyone would pay us money to tour all over the world and play these songs and that they would resonate with so many people. So it was astonishing. I mean, funny in a way, like astonishing on some levels because the songs themselves were so weird and the recordings on that (laughs) record are so weird. And, um, But then not astonishing because, again, we put a lot of work into it and we put a lot of joy into it. And I think people want to people gravitate towards people who are being um, unique and expressive and happy. And for sure. So it made sense, but it also was completely disorienting. And, you know, overnight we went from like just having a barbecue with our friends and spending all day watching TV and playing Frisbee and walking around (laughs) to being in charge of like a, you know, international corporation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was super disorienting too. Yeah, I'm sure. That song, I mean, I'm very proud of that song. I love those lyrics. That's That song's one of my like top, I mean, I never ever was bored playing that song live with the presidents. That was one of those songs where every time we played it, it was like we were playing it for the first time. I just adored that song. awesome.
1: She's love, she's love, she's in my head. She's love, she's love, she's love that she might be dead. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. I love the lyrics. I love how abstract they are and who's lump and all this stuff. Well, just read the lyrics. I mean, the lyrics are what it's about. It's about a (laughs) woman in a house coat sitting in a river and piranhas don't know if she's dead or not. I don't know why, (laughs) but that's what it's about. I mean, it's not a mystery what it's about. It's exactly. I had an amazing experience with that song. So I don't know if you guys know who Robin Hitchcock is. So back in my college days, he had a band called the Soft Boys and their album Underwater Moonlight was this massive influence. And we'd make entire evenings out of sitting around drinking beer, listening to Underwater Moonlight over and over and over. We knew every lyric on that album. So flash forward many, many years later, and I'm in a sushi restaurant. I think this was like 2002 or three. And uh, I look across the restaurant, and there's Robin Hitchcock having sushi in Seattle. He came to Seattle mm. a lot, and I had a band at the time called the Giraffes. It was a in between presidents, I guess this was more like year 2000 or something. But, and I was covering a Robin Hitchcock song from Underwater Moonlight in the band, and I couldn't figure out one of the chords. So I had a couple of sakes to get up some liquid courage. And I went over to his table thinking, I'll ask him from one songwriter to another, like, uh, you know, what's this chord? And when I tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and I say, hey, um, Robin Hitchcock, I'm Chris Ballew. and And he holds up his hand and he stops me and he goes, lump set alone in a boggy marsh. Totally emotionless, except for her heart. Mom oh flowed God. up into Lump's pajamas. <laughs> totally. It, it was crazy. He recited the lyrics to Lump to Me and then told me a story that he loved that song so much that he actually had to stop a show mid-song because this Lump was so like stuck in his <laughs> mind because he, and he didn't know who wrote it or performed it. And he asked the crowd, like who, I have to stop. Who does this song called Lump? And everyone's yelling, the presidents of the United States, America, Chris Ballou. And, um, ever since he's been like, he was, he was kind of waiting to meet me. So it was a, a crazy experience. And we became, we were super tight and friendly for a bunch of years after that. So that was really a thrill. But yeah, so anyway, testament to the songs, um, Staying power and uh, stickiness, I guess.
0: Recently, there's, you know, there's been a big desire for people to, you know, like us, we were big fans of vinyl records. We've become very avid vinyl collectors. And I was so happy that I was able to see some sort of Facebook ad for your Kickstarter when you guys re-released yeah. the debut album. And so what was the impetus for that Kickstarter? Because the, the vinyl sounds great. It looks great. It, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to to help you guys out and have, have a copy of that.
2: Yeah. Uh, that was kind of my idea. We would have meetings. So now that the band is no longer a musical endeavor, it's just a business endeavor. And that means that Andrew, the second guitar player, kind of, he moved to San Diego and now the sort of presidents are me and Dave and Jason again, even though we don't play shows or write music. So we would have mm-hmm. these like bi-annual kind of state of the union meetings where we'd have lunch and talk about what needs to happen and you know, we got to review this publishing deal and blah, blah, blah. I kept bringing up vinyl, like, you know, guys, vinyl's hot and we got to get on it and get it done. And it was kind of on my desk for a long time. And my desk was very cluttered with Casper stuff. And, um, finally, Jason was just like, you know what? My desk is clear. I'll take it over. And I had already sort of canvassed the world for partners like independent labels and project managers to help with it and Jason ended up doing the whole thing himself really with a little bit of help but he did an amazing job he wrote all the copy, he got the Kickstarter thing up and running, mm. he coordinated us signing like 3500 albums, you know just can't uh, heap enough praise on Jason for how well he handled that whole thing so it was really a Jason Finn uh, taking it across the finish line Well, well,
0: kudos Hmm. to him. So does this,
2: because you guys were able
0: to release it independently, I assume you, you own the masters or at least own the, Oh uh, okay.
2: Yeah. When we signed one of the things that happened when we got kind of, uh, you know, had heat on us at the beginning is we split into a three headed monster. I was creative. Jason was late night PR, which means like go out and get drunk with the, uh, you know, record company people or the, you know, people who need impressing Mm -hmm. and make the scene And Dave was business, so he read Donald Passman's book about the music business at the time, was kind of the Bible, and learned how to, you know, read contracts and I'm not sure who came up with the idea, but the idea was let's license the record to Columbia for seven years and not take a nice. bunch of money up front and own the record again after that term. So that's awesome. That's what we did. And so now, yeah, we own it.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Smart, move. <laughs> it a very very smart. smart move. It was a
2: very smart move. It's very long. You know, that's the kind of thing I loved about the presidents. We were silly and slapstick and all that stuff, but we... I don't know we were dedicated to being smart you know like we wanted to come home with money you know like all of our friends Mm -hmm. friends and other bands (laughs) were coming home from tour like oh man we had a bus and we had this and that we had luxury hotel rooms but now we have no money and we're all like Mm no nope nope i remember being a little kid and hearing about child stars that lost all their money and Just going like, how do you do that? (laughs) How do you lose all your money? (laughs) So anyway, it was just somehow it was in all three of us to kind of like win that game. And we were lean when we toured and came home with money so we could, you know, make our way in the world today. Yeah, it's great.
3: You you had said that the presidents uh, right now are no longer a musical endeavor. Is there any future plans for a tour? You think sometime in the future or another album? this just in presidents reunite
2: no (laughs) uh no no i mean that at least in the way we used to do it the rock band you know the band got really loud and really big and i enjoyed it a, a lot but eventually it just didn't feel like me, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to have to wear ear protection when I'm playing music. That's basically the bottom line. (laughs) I've screwed up my ears from that whole era and I'm going to be a deaf old man and all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. I just really wanted to make music that was more on a small human scale, like the Casper thing is. And, um, Mm. And, you know, I've just kind of done that. It's kind of like saying to Picasso, hey, man, that blue period was pretty great. You want to do some more blue paintings? Come on, man, what's the, what, give me some blue paintings. <laughs> and he's like, no, I've moved on. I'm making white cows. Uh, so, you know. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I've also learned never say never because we got broke up right. in, you know, 1998 and got back together in 2003. And who knew we'd be together after that for another, you know, 12 years. So, uh, yeah, who knows, yeah. man, I can see, I could, I could see a way the presidents do a tour where we sit around on a, uh, uh, on a set that looks like a back porch and we all have acoustic instruments Ooh. and we do like a campfire sing along where everybody gets handed lyric sheets and everybody oh, sings nice, every man. song. So
4: that'd that'd be like would love that. that. That'd be great. I would totally love that.
2: Yeah. Kind of more like a, like put your, a Kumbaya kind of experience. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris,
0: at the end of every show uh, on on Dad Rocks, we, the three of us, talk about bands that we are listening to and that we want to promote and kind of get, you know, other people listening to. Do you have any artists or bands that you're listening to right now that you want to, you know, give a shout out to?
2: Ooh, that is interesting. So <clears throat> I'm not very good at this game because I listen to a lot of very old music. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it could, it could
0: just be whatever you're listening to right now because you know we we've done a lot a lot of stuff we talk about is vinyl either picks. things that we've listened to or like yeah we're getting, we bought some new like some new old vinyl and stuff like that so yeah. what, you, what have you been listening to
2: well XTC a lot most nice. uh, oh, recently
0: amazing Skylarking. Steve, a big XTC oh it's a fantastic oh, yeah. album.
4: Fantastic album.
2: Yeah, I'm actually in a group uh, called The Beat Geeks, where we geek out on the Beatles, and I've been doing this for like eight years. But we ran it, we basically got into the solo years, and the music was so dismal that we had to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we switched over to XTC, and so we're getting together every two weeks on Zoom, and we're picking apart in chronological order every XTC record.
4: Oh, wow. Ooh. Are you going to do the Dukes of the Stratosphere? Oh
2: yeah, yeah. Dukes are in there next oh. week. Next uh, week is a Dukes record for sure. Awesome. And I loved. Oh my god, Drums and Wires, Skylarking, and the first Dukes of the Stratosphere mm-hmm. EP were just like hugely influential for me. Um, I'm listening to my new favorite classical composer is Josef Haydn. I love him. Mm. I listen awesome. to his just wonderful melodies and I watched a great documentary about him. So I'm, I, I love classical music. I love punk rock. Uh, what else I'm kind of looking, I'm looking in my, uh, <laughs> your Spotify. <iTunes laughs> to rem- yeah, of like, <laughs> I listen to a lot of, uh, African pop music, like, um, the band, uh, Tanari Win. Have you heard of them? Oh No, no. Yeah, they're, just, they're just fantastic. sort of that new sort of African blues, modern African blues stuff. Actually, Mark Lanigan from the Screaming Trees is on the record that I have. Oh, so. cool. There's a little uh, Seattle connection there. Thanks, Chris, so
0: much for coming on to the show. We really, it, it truly is an honor for us. And we're so happy that you were able to, to do this. And uh, you know, it was great talking to you.
2: Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, too. I appreciate you having me. And uh since there's no Casper Baby Pants shows, there's no merch table. But uh, if you want to, you can go to the virtual merch table, which is at kateendle.com. That's dot ecom And that's my wife, Kate, and she is still selling stuff. We sign albums, uh, sign books. We have T-shirts. We have onesies. We have coloring books, all kinds of stuff. Yep. So com for all your Casper baby pants, merch needs, and the fine art of Kate Endel. Everybody out there go to babypantsmusic.com and get your baby pants on. Definitely. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. Get your baby yeah. pants on. Get your baby pants on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the episode today, and I hope you enjoyed listening to, or for some of you, re-listening to our interview with Chris Ballew. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Chris has released some new solo material, and it is not kids' music, though the kids are probably going to enjoy it anyway. Because if you enjoyed his Casper Baby Pan stuff, you're going to probably enjoy his new material— as it's very much a similar style of music, but with more drums and more eccentric lyrics than you can find on Casper Baby Pants. Um, I definitely enjoyed listening to his new stuff, and I think if you like, again, if you like his Casper Baby Pants stuff, you're going to like this stuff too. You can find all of Chris's music, including his work with the President of the United States of America, Casper Baby Pants, Chris and Tad, and uh, of course his new solo work on Spotify, and I assume all of the other major music streaming services as well. You can follow Chris on Instagram at Chris Ballew. Uh, That's his whole name, just uh, s- smashed together. And though he is done with Casper Baby Pants, at least for now, you can still go to babypantsmusic.com to find out everything you'd ever want to know about that project. And to close out this episode, I'm going to play one of Chris's newer songs called Soul Unfolded from the album of the same name, which came out earlier this year. You're going to hear the whole track, Uh, at the end of the show. So continue listening after my sign-off in a bit. If you enjoyed what you heard and haven't already, you know the deal. Go ahead and follow, like, subscribe, or whatever you need to do to automatically get new episodes of the podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you left a review, uh, you know, on whichever podcasting platform you use or just told a friend or two about the show. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter and now TikTok at dadrockspod. And you can find us on Facebook by just searching up Dad Rocks Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, you can hit us up on those social media outlets or just email us at dadrockspod at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening today. And remember, dads, you rock. Now enjoy Soul Unfolded by Chris Blue.